Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Minute Maid Park in Houston. It's the Houston Astros 2, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. But more importantly, it's the Houston Astros 2 runs on 6 hits. It's the Cleveland Guardians no runs on no hits. That's right, we are no hit once again. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And I mean, no hitters are impressive. They are amazing. But when it happens this many times to your team, uh, and it's been so long since your team has thrown one, it really just, it's depressing at this point. Um, so uh, it's its a rough one for the Guardians on, frankly, kind of a rough day. Uh, you know, on a day where we trade, not only that, not only that breaking news, we've also traded Josh Bell to the Miami Marlins. Bell's tenure with Cleveland is very short lived, uh, never really lived up to the expectations when we signed him in the off season was, I mean, he was kind of turning things around here in the middle of the season, but frankly, it was a down year for him once again, uh, hasn't really found it since he was playing in Washington. He's traded to uh, Miami in, in what seems like more of a salary dump than anything else. It's a weird trade. All right, so uh, frankly, I'm going to talk the trade first, and it's going to lead me into a conversation about where this team is mentally, and that's going to lead us into a conversation about the no-hitter that happened tonight. Um, so we trade Josh Bell. Uh, to Miami, and in return, we get Gene Segura, who doesn't matter because we've already waived him. We've already released him. So it becomes a salary swap at that point, and we save a lot of money because Segura was signed for this year, and then I think he had like a $2 million buyout for next year, and then Josh Bell, if he opts into that 16 whatever million dollar contract, we end up saving a bunch of money, basically. Um. And we clear up roster space for young players. We clear up at-bats for young players. And we also were able to add. We got them to throw in a young prospect who was uh, Khalil Watson, who's a shortstop second baseman, uh, who's at high A ball right now. So he'll go to Lake County, presumably. Uh, Left-handed hitter. He was the Marlins' first-round draft pick in 2021. So, I mean, very recently here. Uh, you know, was someone uh, who was very highly regarded. I, In fact, he was a candidate, they say, to go number one overall in the 2021 draft on a below-slot deal to the Pirates. Instead, he slipped all the way to number 16 to Miami. Um, so this guy is, you know, a high, high prospect in the Miami system. Former number one overall pick. Why would Miami include him in a deal? That's kind of the question everyone's kind of wondering. Um, he has a ton of physical tools. The guy has a ton of power. It's actually the opposite of the type of hitter that Cleveland usually goes after. Let me give you the scouting grades. His hit is a 40. His power is a 50. His run is a 65. His arm is a 60. Fielding a 55. Overall, a 45 grade. The thing about him is he actually was like demoted for an entire month after he made threatening gestures towards an umpire in July. I guess he used the bat to look like a gun, which is 
I mean, that's terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. Uh, believe me, I've been mad at umpires. I've been mad at referees in whatever sport I've been playing, but it's a pretty disgusting move right there. Um, so he literally, you know, got suspended for an entire month, basically demoted for a month, uh, for doing that. And so maybe there was some just negative feelings in the Miami system towards him. And maybe he just needs a new change of scenery and a new franchise to work with and a kind of a fresh start after what happened there. So maybe that's why they were willing to part with a firmer, former first-round draft pick that's been in their system for two years, less a year and a half, right? Um, I guess it's been two years at this point. Uh, they draft him in the middle of the season, which is always weird. Um, so, yeah, so he, uh, you know, he, he's, he's coming along as a prospect. He's 20 years old. He's very young. And uh, he has, I mean, he has... The talent, he has the raw talent to be a star player, a, to be a middle infielder or an infielder with a ton of power. Whether Cleveland can develop a hitter or not, it, uh, Khalil Watson probably has a long way to go before there's any chance we'd see him in a Guardians uniform. He slots in as the number 15th prospect uh, at MLB's prospect rankings for the Guardians. He's got other middle infielders ahead of him. Juan Brito is the 13th prospect. Uh, Angel Genoa, who's a guy we haven't talked about because he's 19 years old in A-ball, is ahead of him, the number 10 prospect. Uh, Jake Fox, who can play second base, is ahead of him, the number 8 prospect. Angel Martinez, uh, middle infielder, uh, is the 7th prospect. Brian Rocchio, of course, at AAA, is the 5th prospect. So there are some middle infielders ahead and behind him. You got Jose Tania, you've got uh, Diane Frias, Dylan. I, I don't know how to say his first name. I really don't. Frias, who's also at Lake County. Uh, so yeah, so you got a lot of guys in that middle infield prospect list. Um, he's got a lot to compete with there, and some of those guys are right now playing great at Lake County. So you know. Where is he going to play? I mean, does Frias get bumped up to double A? But you got Juan Brito, you know, sitting there at double A. You got Jose Tania there at double A. You got Angel Martinez there at double A. So does one of those guys get bumped up to triple A? And does someone like Brian Rocchio get elevated to the major league level again? Uh, one of the things that's going to add a little bit of tension to this is Tyler Freeman left this game with... A sore shoulder, basically. Uh, people thought it was because he fouled a ball off his foot. No, he left the game because his shoulder hurt him on a swing, which is very concerning. Tyler Freeman has dealt with some pretty serious injuries throughout his minor league career. It's one of the reasons he didn't advance that fast. Uh, so if Freeman needs to go on the IL, that means Rokio is definitely going to come up, right? It would be the logical move uh, to rep- you know Rokio to get those get that playing time that what well, it was limited playing time now it's gonna be a lot more playing time uh but there's got to be another move someone's got to replace Josh Bell on the roster so who is that gonna be is that gonna be a, a George Valera is that gonna be Manzardo the guy we just got for the Aaron Savali trade does does Kyle Manzardo get the call up even though he's kind of been struggling at AAA this year which you know, is understandable when guys make that leap to a new level, they usually struggle and then come back the next year 
and figure it out again, right? And you usually see that pattern when you look at a guy's minor league numbers. Uh, Jowenski Noel is another one sitting there at AAA, although uh, from what I've heard, it, it hasn't been that great of a season. He's hitting, let's see, 223 with a 729 OPS. He's got 18 home runs, but he's also got 101 strikeouts to 33 walks. So do you want to see someone come up here that's kind of like Oscar Gonzalez and is going to strike out a ton, but hey, he can get a hold of one every now and then? Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, they've got some interesting decisions to make because they don't have a complete roster right now. There's still a move missing, uh, in all this, which is filling out the bench and seeing who's going to get a chance at the major league level now from Columbus. Uh, so it, it is frustrating. This trade deadline has both been interesting and frustrating. Clearly, they are indicating to you that the central division doesn't matter to them. They are looking at the at the the the, the, um, the league as a whole. I was going to say conference, but that's basketball. That's football. They're looking at the league as a whole, the American League, and saying we're not we're not at the level we need to be at to compete in the playoffs. Yes, maybe we could hang in there and win the Central Division over the Twins. Frankly, even after being no hit tonight, like they're still not out of it by any means. There's still two months of baseball left. They're, they could still pass the Twins and win the division. It could happen. They, this team could be in the playoffs, which is kind of scary with how bad the Central Division's been this year. But they're telling you by these trades that they did not feel like pushing their chips in and going for it like some other teams have, like the Angels have, like the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros have. Like, uh, I mean, who else is making big moves right now? The Blue Jays were making moves to uh, fill things out. The Orioles are making moves, right? Those teams feel, even the Twins didn't make positive moves. The White Sox went on a fire sale. Boy, this White Sox and Guardian series coming up over the weekend, boy, that's going to be... Uh, who's left, right, uh, on uh, on the White Sox? In fact, the best news of this trade deadline is that Jake Berger got traded off of the White Sox and Ryan Yarborough got traded off of the Kansas City Royals. Two guys in your division that absolutely killed you. You could not solve. You could not figure out. And they've both been traded out of the division now. So that's the best news of the whole trade deadline for the Guardians. But clearly, Antonetti and Turnoff demonstrated to you that they did not think that this team, the way it currently was constructed, which they're the ones that constructed it, was ready to compete in the American League playoffs. So what would be the point of being buyers now? The problem is, the problem the fans are having is when are you going to be buyers? When are you going to make moves to improve the major league roster. The thing about these moves is it's very unclear what you were doing except maybe clearing out a little money, right? And clearing out at-bats. It's not all money. It's also at-bats. Trading Ahmed Rosario frees up at-bats for your young middle infielders. Okay, so that's, that's part of it too, besides the money. 
which I, I really don't think because the salaries aren't even that high to begin with. So I, I honestly don't think it's about money at this point. I, I think it's you, the, you had tradable assets and people were offering you things for them. And so you made trades because you could. And but what are what were these trades trying to accomplish besides that, besides clearing some things out? Were you trying to fill out your farm system? Did you need another middle infield prospect? Were you trying to improve the major league roster? Nope. It doesn't look like anybody you got. Gene Zagura isn't. He's already gone. It's not going to help you at the major league level. Although, and if Freeman actually hurt himself, then maybe you're kicking yourself that you released Gene Zagura so quickly. Could have waited a day on that. Um, so, yeah. Um, unless, unless this first baseman, Manzardo gets a call up here in the next month or so, or maybe tomorrow to replace Josh Bell, which I talked about maybe being a possibility next season. I, it sounds like Manzardo still needs some time at AAA to work through uh, some things. But unless he's getting called up, then you didn't do anything to improve your major league roster. Yes, you got Noah Syndergaard. He is a major league player, but nobody, ex- <laughs> frankly, nobody expected the five-plus innings he got from him in his first start, no one's expecting much from Noah Syndergaard. It was, it was you needed someone to pitch, literally physically needed someone to pitch so that your rookies weren't burning themselves out. Which maybe uh, it sounds like Battenfield might be back um, soon from injury. He had a rehab start, so that's going to help alleviate some of the innings. He's, a, he's another rookie, another young guy, but uh, at least... Uh, it's a way to spread out the innings here uh, towards the end. So uh, that that's a little bit of good news there. Uh, so yeah, what what are you trying to do with these trades? I think that's something that has us all frustrated. And remember, when we made the playoffs last year and we had that great showing against New York, right? We took them to the, you know, we, we had them on the ropes. They, I don't know, it was a bad, I don't know what boxing analogy you want to use, but... We went all 12 rounds against them, right? We went deep. And they said that it was going to be a stepping stone. They were going to step forward from this. They were going to use this and move into the next season even stronger. And they didn't. They didn't. Antonetti had a quote about, you know, about Bell and uh, Zanino and how, oh, that's the risk you take when you go into free agency. You know, it's a risky proposition. You make place a few bets on some guys and they don't pan out. No, no. If you would have, if you would have gotten the guys you really wanted, instead of settling for the bargain versions of those guys, you'd be in a different situation. But you lost. You lost out. You didn't go hard enough. You didn't make the right deal. You blew the deal to get the guys you really wanted. The guys that could really help this team. And so you went out and you, you found a patch. You found you found a, uh, you know, a secondary target, and that didn't work out for you. I don't know. It a very I can understand how Guardians fans are very frustrated, and at the same time, also be slightly optimistic because we got a, you know, we didn't get prospects that were nobodies. We added two prospects that fall into our top fifteen, right? In our farm system. They make our farm system a lot stronger. So it's not a complete waste. 
they're slightly different hit profiles than, you know, we've been seeing recently. And so, yeah, it's intriguing. It's interesting. I'm not going to miss anybody, maybe Aaron Savali a little bit. But he also has been very hot and cold in his Cleveland career. He's looked great and looked terrible at times, just awful, and then unhittable at times. So I am going to miss Savali a little bit, but I'm not going to miss Ahmed Rosario. I'm frankly not going to miss Josh Bell. He wasn't here long enough for us to really miss him. I mean, when Josh Bell make, I'm gonna when he made contact with a home run. Oh my God, what a shot! It was impressive. I'm glad we got to see it. There were also all those weak dribblers, like back to the pitcher, and those balls he topped and just pounded into the ground for ground outs. I'm not gonna miss those. So uh, yeah, it's not like they parted with somebody that I can't live without. But at the same time. Did you do anything to improve this major league team? Does this team look any better heading into next season because of the trades you made? And are you ever going to make those trades? Are you ever going to alleviate the long jam uh, with your middle infielders and use it to actually fill a need? A corner outfielder, maybe. Uh, Just power in the lineup. Which leads us into this lineup tonight. I, the young guys got to play tonight. Freeman starts at second base. You know, uh, Naylor was scratched from the lineup. Josh Naylor was scratched from the lineup because he was feeling sore on his side. And then Bell, they had to redo the lineup again once Bell got traded. So it was his third lineup of the night. And But he basically took the lefties out. He gave Andres Jimenez a day off because he's been struggling. He gave Naylor a day off because he's not feeling great. And for some reason, he decided that Cam Gallagher needed to catch. So once again, we have a situation where Straw is hitting eighth, Gallagher is hitting ninth, and we're basically playing this game with seven batters. I don't consider Straw and Gallagher 8-9 even worth uh, being on a major league roster at this point, like starting a major league game at this point. So they Freeman gets the start at second. Arias gets the start, start at short. You got Brennan in there. You got David Fry at first base. Oscar Gonzalez gets a DH. The kids are playing. That's what happens after you sell at the trade deadline. It's left to the kids. And uh, the kids were in there and playing. And they get absolutely dominated by Framber Valdez. Uh, Framber Valdez, who... Has dominated the Guardians his whole career. A Houston Astros team that, frankly, has been dominating the Cleveland Guardians since they swept them in the playoffs in 2018. I was at Game Three of that playoff series. It was a, it was a rough, it was a ugly feeling. It was a bad feeling that kind of ran through the city. That Houston just steamrolled us. Now we we know why Houston steamrolled us. They were cheating and stealing signs. But still, it it was it was a pretty brutal sweep, and Houston kind of has had our number ever since. I mean, frankly, they've been one of the best teams in the American League in, in all of baseball, so they've had everybody's number uh, for the last few years. But uh, it feels personal still with Houston because uh, we were on you know one end of that cheating scandal, and but they kick our butts again. And Framber Valdez was absolutely filthy in this game, absolutely filthy. He, uh, obviously, the line is nine innings pitched, no hits, no runs, one walk, which is a race down a double play, seven strikeouts. He faces the minimum batters. 
on only 93 pitches. One of the I, there's all sorts of stats out there about how few pitches it took him to throw this no hitter. I think it's in like the top four all time for if efficiency efficiency goes and number of pitches goes for throwing a no hitter. He's hard hit five times on those 93 pitches. You'll also hear the term Maddox thrown around. Oh, he pitched a Maddox. It's because Greg Maddox was famous for throwing complete games under 100 pitches, being super ultra-efficient. And so that's what Valdez does in this one. And it's just... What's maddening, what's maddening is you didn't have to swing at all these curveballs. You didn't have to. He threw the curveball 42 times. It was 45% of his pitches were curveballs. Then he threw the hard two-seam sinker. A couple of change-ups and cutters mixed in. You swung 26 times off that curveball, and you whiffed 12 times. It's a 46% whiff rate, a 33% whiff rate total on the day. You fouled off seven curveballs. You put seven in play for an average exit velocity of 85.7. This curveball was down all day, all day. He he would threw a couple for strikes. Actually, he threw, a, he threw a lot of curveballs. Man, I'd say about half of them he threw in the strike zone, and about half of them he threw out of the strike zone, down, down into the glove side for the lefty. He was burying this curveball, and they were chasing it. When we look at the swing and miss, the swing strikes, there's one sinker David Fry swung at and missed in the strike zone. Everything else is out of the strike zone. It is curveballs out of the strike zone and in on these right-handed hitters. And a bunch of ch- a couple of change-ups down, too, that he got guys to chase uh, below the strike zone. Everything is down below the strike zone. What in the world? How do they not understand what Valdez is doing to him? How do they not have a conversation? How do they not treat this guy like a, like a knuckleball pitcher, right? The thing with a knuckleball pitcher... The old saying is if it's low, let it go. If it's high, let it fly. Meaning if the pitch is up, chances are even if it falls, it'll at least stay in the strike zone. If it's already coming in low, it's going to fall. It's going to fall out of the strike zone. Let it go. And they can't help themselves. They just, they're just they swinging away at this thing, just hacking and whiffing at this thing. None of them. None of them in the lineup could resist it. Uh, yeah, Gallagher, Gonzalez, Fry, Arias, all victims here. Uh, even Ramirez was chasing a changeup in the dirt. Uh, and Quan was chasing changeups down below the zone. Tyler Freeman chasing curveballs inside on him. Uh, a lot of these are Oscar Gonzalez. A lot of these are Oscar Gonzalez chasing these curveballs off the plate. It's, it's, Absolutely. What's what's maddening is that there was never an adjustment made. The whole game, they started. I I will say, okay, maybe there was a slight adjustment because they started getting. I felt like ultra aggressive. It felt like well, it's third time through the lineup, they were just if deciding to have shorter at bats and just swinging at everything. Uh, Quan has a two pitch at bat his third time through the lineup. Jimenez pinch hitting because Freeman leaves the game. One pitch at bat. He swings at the sinker and grounds out right away. Jose Ramirez, two pitch at bat. Uh, They're just up there hacking now, just hoping. Uh, Gonzalez actually fouls off a bunch of pitches before he finally strikes out on that curveball. Uh, David Fry 
swinging a curveball. Swinging strike, swinging strike, foul. And then finally grounds out to short on a curveball down at his knees at the bottom of the strike zone. Brennan first pitch swinging, curveball ground out. Just absolutely up here hacking. Uh, Gabriel Arias actually was patient. He was patient before he finally grounds out. He hit it sharply, 103.8, but grounds out to Altuve. Uh, it was a curveball in the strike zone. Uh, so finally someone showing a patient at bat. He, t- he worked it to a full count. He took took three balls in this one. Uh, Miles Straw, and then <laughs> Miles Straw. They don't have anyone else left on the bench except for Bo Naylor that's available. So uh, he, he can't really pinch hit for Miles Straw. So Straw, again, has to hit in the ninth inning of a game. Uh, Zach Meisel made the joke. Remember, Zach Miles was the one that grilled Terry Francona. We didn't talk about this. I got to hear the comments from Terry Francona about leaving Straw in the game. And it makes, I mean, no sense. It makes Terry Francona seem like he has no clue what's going on with Miles Straw, no clue what's going on with his bench players, with on-base percentages, with who can actually get him. He's like, I don't need a home run. I need a hit. What in the world makes you think Miles Straw is going to get you a hit before any of those guys? Straw's garbage offensively right now. That's not the guy I'm turning to for a hit, Terry Francona. So Meisel pushed him on it too. He really did. And we give credit to Zach. It is hard to stand in front of Terry Francona and, and tell him straight to his face, why didn't you use those three guys on your bench? And give him the names of the three guys straight to his face and have to deal with that answer coming back at you. That is, it's tougher to stand in there and do that than it is to stand there and face a Valdez curveball. So credit to Zach for being the one person in the media that had the guts to say it. And uh, people were uh, tweeting at him all night. Like, you got to ask him. You got to ask him again about the ninth inning. And he tweeted out, I'm sitting this one out. Uh, so yeah, you can't really pinch it for straw, but he leaves camp Gallagher straw was a three pitch at bat, uh, before he finally lines out weekly to center field. Um, and then, uh, cam Gallagher, he goes in there hacking, swings at a curveball for strike one, fouls off a curveball for strike two, uh, and then kind of breaks his bat lines out softly on a curveball that was up and in a 55.2 mile per hour line out to short to end things so they were up there absolutely hacking it did people were tweeting this out like the 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 mood of the team it felt like they didn't want to be there tonight Uh, with with all these people being traded off the team right they lose they lose three veterans that seem like they were very important figures in the clubhouse people that were really liked by their teammates and it did it team it seemed like a team that was in mourning after the Amon Rosario trade in Chicago, we talked about how they they did come out like a team that was that looked like it was ready to compete in the second half. They did. Josh Naylor had that attitude. He he was ready to go. And then this Houston, man, we should not be playing games in Texas. We I mean we were swept by the Texas Rangers. Now it looks like Houston's on the way to sweeping us. Like we look like we have no fight right now in the state of Texas. Uh, we got to get the heck out of there. Um. But yeah, this team absolutely looked like it had no fight in them tonight. Nothing. They did not want to be there. They wanted this thing over so quickly, and they got their wish. I mean, what was it, a two-hour game? Two hours and six minutes? They got their wish. It was over quick, at least. 
so yeah, uh, I guess we need to talk about Gavin Williams and the pitching on our side of things because Williams gets himself into a lot of trouble, but he's able to actually give you a decent start. Goes five innings, only gives up four hits, two earned runs. That's it. On one swing, gets him two runs, and that's it that Williams gives up. He does have four walks, though, and the walks were a problem. But six strikeouts do save him. So it's a little bit of a Shane Bieber-esque start, dare I say, where the strikeouts are at least there to save him. On 93 pitches, he's only hard hit four times. So, uh, yeah, he uh, he gets into a situation. He, he creates his own problem there in the uh, third inning. Uh, Jake Myers would get a leadoff single. He would strike out Maldonado, and it would be a strike him out, throw him out, and... Okay, as much as I didn't want to see him Cam Gallagher bat, I got to give Cam Gallagher credit here. He threw a absolute perfect strike to second base to nail this runner. I mean, it was bang, bang at the bag. And that only works with a perfect throw from Cam Gallagher. So they get a strike him out, throw him out, double play. Awesome. And it's huge because of Jose Altuve would single right after that. That could have been much worse if it wasn't a strike him out, double play. Uh, but then he makes things worse by walking Jeremy Pena. Then they advance on a wild pitch. He lets a slider get away from him. And then Kyle Tucker singles into center field. Just a, It was a low pitch. It was down below the strike zone. Tucker goes down there and just bloops this thing into center. So I can't really, I can't blame Gavin Williams for that pitch, for Tucker's hit. But you can blame him for putting those runners into scoring position. He walked. He moved Altuve to second. He threw the wild pitch. He moved those runners to second and third. So even though Tucker kind of gets a lucky hit here, uh, Gavin Williams put himself in that situation. Uh, He does strike out Bregman to get out of it. He would walk the two leadoff hitters in the fourth inning, and it looked like things were going to get worse again, but he's able to work out of it with a pop-out, a ground-out, and a strikeout. Uh, And then another walk in the fifth inning. Uh, before he's finally lifted from the game. So those walks uh, did prove to be a problem. Uh, You know, one walk does lead to those two runs in a way, Uh, and it could have been a lot worse. He's lucky he got out of things. And again, the strikeout does save him from time to time. So overall, it's a decent start by Gavin Williams. Uh, he was uh, the velocity was great. The velocity was up on all his pitches. That fastball, which had a yearly average of ninety five point four, averaged ninety six point six, so over a mile per hour better. It maxed out at ninety eight point eight. So that thing was coming in hot. Um, yeah, uh, so a good pitch for him. It's not a high whiff rate. The curveball did have a good whiff rate, a 56% whiff rate on the curveball, which he threw 20 times, nine swings, five whiffs. Uh, that pitch was pretty effective for him, but it's only a 26% whiff rate on the day, a 26% CSW as well on the day. 17 foul balls definitely helped him out, uh, helped him, uh, uh, you know, obviously helped add some strikes to that total there, uh, get some of those strikeouts probably. Uh, so yeah, the, the location of the fastball is always something I look at for him and he does like to throw it high and he does like throwing it to the arm side, but he also was able to locate a ton of fastballs down in the strike zone. And that's what I want to see from a starter. I, you know, for a guy, 
I'm going to use James Karinchek as an example. I know he struggled. I know he's not the best, not someone anyone wants to model themselves after right now. But Karinchek, because he's a reliever and because he just needs to be effective for an inning, his combination of high fastballs at the top of the zone and the curveballs at the bottom of the zone does work for an inning. It throws guys off for an inning, keeps them off balance. I don't think you could survive like that as a starter. You gotta be able to throw the fastball to all four quadrants. You gotta be able to attack whether it's lefties or righties in there. I'm actually curious. Let's sort this by uh, left-handed batters and right-handed batters here. Um, so uh, I don't think uh, there was only one lefty in the lineup. Uh, so he was keeping the fastball down to them, to him. If that if that means anything, uh, who was it again? Kyle Tucker. Everybody else was a righty in the lineup, even with a right-handed pitcher on the mound. So he was attacking the righties up and in, but he was also throwing it down at the thighs, you know, using it. Uh, let's see some of the counts here. Well, 3-0 count. You know, he's got to throw one over. 1-0 count. Uh, all different counts here. So 0-0 counts here. So first pitch of the at-bat, he was establishing a strike one. And he was also throwing it to the outside edge of the plate against those righties. So... I do like that he was mixing up locations. This is much better than some of the previous starts we've seen from him. So kind of a running storyline there. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Our only email tonight is from Marlon in Birmingham. And Marlon, I, you read my mind sometimes, man. You, you have some of the same thoughts, some of the things we've already talked about. Uh, he did say tonight's offense looked like the 2021 offense when Van Berkeley was the hitting coach. Weak contact, far too many swing and misses. There weren't any adjustments made. Um, you know, some of the I just some of the things Marlon goes a little bit to the extremes here. Uh, it's, I felt it's been a long time since I felt this demoralized watching this team. Um, I, I just I never get that low. I just never get that low on the team. Uh, there's always hope that these prospects are going to figure things out. That these young guys actually will develop into the players we want them to. I'm never going to be demoralized watching this team. I'm, I'm never going to be that low. I'm never going to be disgusted by the season or something like that. Yeah, there's some hard games to sit through. Yeah, there are some hard seasons to sit through. But uh, there are... Interesting building blocks. And if Brian Rocchio gets called up, if whoever cuts call, if we see Juan Brito eventually, like George Valera, there there are things that I am excited about. There are building blocks. There are pieces here. I do see a path forward for this team. So Marlon, I'm just not gonna get that negative with you. I just I can't. I can't do it. I wish the front office would indicate to us a little bit about what their plan is. And how they think this thing is going to develop? Do they how they plan on bouncing back next year to stay one of those competitive teams, one of those hungry teams in the American League, right? And not even the American League Central in the American League. Clearly, that's what's important now. The American League Central is just a path to those playoffs, but that's not the goal. That's not what this front office is focused on. So. I wish the front office had given us more indication on how they plan on making this team competitive to be a contender again, maybe next season. Because clearly they've shown us not this season. They've got nothing. If these kids get hot, then they get hot. But they're not doing anything as a front office to make the 2023 team stronger and more competitive. But 
still, I'm wondering how, what is the plan? What is the plan to make the 2024 team stronger and more competitive? There's so many young prospects that are coming up. It almost makes it seem crazy that they'd go and be aggressive in free agency again this offseason. Because there's so many kids here that need at-bats and need a chance to develop and need time to play. So, I don't know. You know, the Mets just came out and said that they sold off, you know, obviously their whole starting rotation because their plan is not to be competitive again until 2025. They legitimately said that. They're retooling for 2025. I don't know what the plan is in Cleveland. So, all right, that's all my thoughts. Marlon, I appreciate the email. He did say kudos to Williams, Curry, Sandlin, and De Los Santos. They pitched their tails off and deserved much better. Hopefully Freeman is okay. I wonder who will be called up to replace Bell on the active roster. Could Brian Rocchio make another appearance, especially if Freeman is out for a while? See, Marlon, I told you, we're on the same wavelength sometimes. All right, uh, MVP on the day. Look, I don't pull this card very often, but when a guy throws a no-hitter against us, I'm sorry, he's MVP on the day. I, I I don't play that card where I give it to a player on the other team very often, but when you do something historic like that, when you do something incredible, it's a feat of strength to pitch a no-hitter. It is. It absolutely is. I was trying to explain it to my wife because uh, she seemed unimpressed when she came downstairs and I told her we got no hit. And I was like, no, you got to understand. It's hard. Cleveland hasn't had one since the 80s. It is really hard to do. Uh, and the fact that it's happened so much against us, boy, that just it's just the kick in the pants that Cleveland, right? It's Cleveland always takes these crazy, weird losses. And uh, we constantly are on the wrong side of these things. No matter what sport it is, by the way. It's just, it is a thing with Cleveland sports. So, uh, Framber Valdez, congratulations on the no-hitter. You are MVP on the day. All right. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. It was a tough one to get through. I know. I know. But we had to talk about the trade. We had to talk about where this team is. And we will continue to have these conversations moving forward as we see what they do to fill out the roster, as we see who moves up in the minor league system. There will be more transaction. There's there's probably a transaction being made right now. They're literally, they're probably figuring out how to get somebody here for tomorrow's game, uh, afternoon game against Houston. Did they announce? They haven't announced their starting pitcher yet. It's going to be Bybee on the mound, so at least we got that, right? Who's going to pitch for Houston? I don't know yet. Uh, there's no way Justin Verlander would be ready. I don't know when he last pitched for the Mets. There's no way we would see Verlander, right? That'd be insane. We'll see. Um, and then we get an off day before coming home to uh, to face the White Sox. But it feels like they, they need to add that player to fill out the roster, right? They need somebody else on their bench uh, for this finale in Houston. So we'll see who gets that call up. So stay tuned for that. All right, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Houston. It's the Astros 2, your Guardians. No hit, nothing. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Come on. Somebody out there has to have a reaction to these trade deadline moves besides Marlon. Let me know how you're feeling. Let me know what you think about these players. And we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.